When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Bet Saratoga this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Go to nyrabets.com for details and sign up today. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey, and I am joined, as always, by Brendan. We are coming to you on a Friday morning this time. We had what we are going to simply refer to as a scheduling conflict on Wednesday night. Otherwise, we would have done the usual uh, recap and preview after the Tigers series before this Red series. We're going to mix it up this time. We appreciate you guys bearing with us, but we'll talk briefly about those two Tigers games cover the Reds game from Thursday night, give you the preview for the rest of this Reds series for the three games remaining this weekend at Wrigley Field. And we're going to keep that brief because since we talked to you guys last, we have an awful lot to talk about. And the extra day after uh, we would normally have recorded has given us even more to cover uh, as it relates to the Cubs roster and injury news and trades. So we have uh, a ton to cover here. So I am going to rip into this recap real quick, and we will take it from there. The usual programming note still sticks. As you can see, regardless of whether uh, we have to amend the schedule, we do come to you twice a week no matter what. We will figure it out one way or the other. You can find us on all the major podcast apps, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, etc., and sticking with the reminder, at least for another couple weeks here, uh, Blog Talk Radio no longer updates their feed. They have moved everything to a new channel called Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. So if you're looking for us on Blog Talk Radio, you can now find us there. Anyway, thank you for indulging that as usual. Let's get into some Cubs baseball. Uh, so real quick, just going back to this Tiger series, I know we're, we're already playing the Reds here, but 
the Cubs finish up their five straight games of only getting one run, and that one run coming on a solo home run on Tuesday in a 2-1 to loss to the Detroit Tigers. Kyle Hendricks continues his stretch of good pitching for the Cubs, but does suffer his 10th loss of the year. Because, Brendan, this is simple math, uh, even for me, I think I can get this. If you only hit a solo home run a game and your starter gives up two runs, you can't win. So, uh, luckily, you know, now in the in the future here, we are past that, uh, hopefully for good. Uh, but Hendricks going seven, ten hits, two earned, one walk, and three strikeouts. The solo homer in this one coming from Anthony Rizzo. On Wednesday, the Cubs offense finally breaks out uh, and scores more than a run and does more than hitting a solo home run for the first time since last Wednesday against the Brewers, and that turned around. Uh, David Bodie, a two-run home run, ending the streak. It's over, Brendan, Uh, and we can all move on. The Cubs putting up eight against uh, Francisco Liriano and the Tigers on Wednesday. John Lester, ya boy, picking up his 14th win of the year, five and two-thirds, seven hits, one earned, one walk, and three strikeouts. And if you could put a dollar value on the look he gave Joe Madden when Joe came to take him out of that game, it would be worth a lot of money. Uh, And, you know, maybe could uh, burn... I don't appreciate ever comparing those two uh, other than their first name, and they don't spell them the same way. So uh, I'll I'll respectfully ask you not to do that again, Brendan. Uh, But yes, it could have burned a hole in a concrete wall. Let's just put it that way. Uh, But John's ERA at 3.64. So he does appear, you know, we're not super worried about him, but he does appear to have put that a really rough second half start, you know, where he had a really ballooned ERA, I believe above 10 uh, in the second half. So he does seem to have put that behind him, found his mechanics, his stuff again, and we can uh, forget about that. Tonight, in on Thursday, it was the Cole Hamels show. We have gushed and gushed and gushed about this trade. And what does Cole do to kind of follow all that up, Brendan? He throws a complete game at Wrigley Field on Thursday night. Uh, That would be nine innings pitched. He allows eight hits, just one earned run, two walks, and seven strikeouts. He picks up his ninth win of the season. Uh, Another quality start in a Cubs uniform. Uh, Another game where you feel very confident with him on the mound, and I think very comfortable looking forward to games with him on the mound. Uh, and I do want to just read this real quick. I tweeted this from the at Real Cubs Insider account. I just read you his line tonight in 34 innings. Also interesting that I believe he's pitched flat innings every time he's gone out there. So no uh, thirds of an inning for Cole Hamels. He keeps it nice and tidy uh, for those of us that aren't good at math. But 34 innings pitched, three earned runs, 30 strikeouts, and eight walks for Cole Hamels in a Cubs uniform, that is um, not bad, Brendan. So that's your recap on where we are. At the end of this podcast, we will preview the remaining three games with the Reds. Now you're all caught up. Again, we appreciate you guys bearing with us. It's very rare that we don't stick to that specific schedule. But even so, we will get you two episodes a week to, you know, kind of break up having to talk about everything all at once. So uh, thank you for that. 
Brendan, I'll throw it to you. General thoughts on on the state of things, and then we will kind of rip into everything. We, I, I think this is going to be more of a bulleted point-by-point podcast than necessarily maybe some of our deeper analytical conversations uh, because there is simply too much to talk about here, Brendan. Yeah, it, there, the, I mean, this is probably going to be one of the most jam-packed podcast episodes we've had for, for some time here. Uh, before we talk about all the acquisitions, I think just the general state of the team, and it kind of goes on what we were saying the last time we recorded, and Madden actually brought this up as well. But he was saying, like, yeah, the offense is really struggling or was struggling recently outside of these outside of these last two games, but the pitching has been phenomenal. I mean, that's twice in a row now for Lester. Hendricks, his K rate over his last, what is this now, five starts, is well above his career average, which is, which is encouraging. And Cole Hamels is like going out there every every single start, every start, and looking like his former self. He's a point, he's lowered his ERA by almost one full point since coming over to the Cubs. Those are three really good starters. Uh, I, I, I do want to mention the, the offense uh, malaise, if you will. The the concern level I have for the offense, I first off, I, I fully respect and understand where everyone is coming from if you are concerned about the Cubs offense. They've been really concerning to some degree with the lack of power over the last month, but I always go back to this, and I think this is where the stats can be dangerous per se, but at the end of looking at all of these different numbers, I always ask myself the question, does the talent line up? And we look at guys like Javi and Rizzo, and when KB comes back, and even Wilson Contreras to a degree, even though he's been really struggling, does those numbers match your talent level, what you see? I don't think that's the case. I think this team, by the end of September, can look much different just because we know this team has such a big power potential, such a big high-level offensive ceiling. And that's the point I was trying to make. I'm, I'm not trying to discount what they've not been able to do over the last month but it doesn't really concern me because for the majority of these guys they're young they're young they're adapting and they have so much potential and we've we saw it a month ago two months ago the team was off was going off they had the best pretty much numbers across the board in major league baseball from an offensive point point of view so that's where i am Corey. i think the last two games have been encouraging but i'm not surprised whatsoever that they've been able to come out of this and i think by two weeks from now, three weeks from now, if they start going off again offensively, it's not going to be a surprise. And that's the point I was trying to make before. Yeah, I think that you know you and I have expressed pretty frequently that we're not really concerned when these bouts of inconsistency and inability to scratch across a few runs at a time come about because it you know is sort of the nature of the team. And you know I agree with you, the talent is there, and especially like you know, we'll, we'll get into some of these are, you know, these are part of our bullets, but you know, you're, you're still waiting for Chris Bryant, who as a reminder to apparently a lot more people than I would have guessed have forgotten this is the best player on this team. I will not hear any arguments to the contrary. (laughs) You're welcome to try, but good luck. Uh, and you know, you've got Addison Russell who hits the DL this week that again, also one of our bullet points we'll discuss in a little bit. Different injuries. Ugh. Right. And, you know, their overall health and whether they're able to come back and, and, and to what degree obviously affects 
you know, when you're looking at that stretch where they're only hitting solo home runs, it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the normal group. You're not at full strength and sometimes that's going to happen. And, you know, then you get these last two games, the one, uh, uh, the final, the finale against the Tigers and this Reds game on Thursday night where, you know, they, they look like a, a very well-rounded offense, a lot of power doing the little things. You get Javi Baez hitting a 481-foot home run tonight. Was I mean, that, oh, my God. When he Brandon. hit that, Corey, you were at the game. Did you know it was going that far off the bat? I mean, I wish you would give me a little more credit. I did work in front <laughs> offices. I, I like to think that I can read the ball off the bat, especially well, when it's I mean, 481 feet. Like, he hit that uh, ball. No, right? I let out a hearty ooh, <laughs> like right when he hit it. That's uh, one, one of the and, and I mean, even at the ballpark, I mean, that game. had that, that beautiful sound. And, you know, Javi kind of, he, he lets you know as well. If you're not sure if he got it, he usually is. So you can kind of just defer to him. Did you see him hurt his wrist on the previous pitch? I did, did not, but I did see him in the finale in Detroit foul the ball off his leg, stay down for a second, get up, and hit a home run there. So, so Yeah, yeah. So you go back when, when you have time, go back in the broadcast, he takes a check swing, and he just looks as if he broke his wrist. And even J.D. said that. It's like, oh, well, last time this happened, he hit a homer, and I swear to God, the next pitch, he hit a homer. I feel so, like J.D. does that a lot. He does. But, He's like psychic. Yeah, so... I guess that's like a living embodiment of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, that's that's something that Javi embodies. But since we're talking about the offense, bullet point number one here, Brendan, I think there really is no other place to start than we do get a waiver period acquisition by the Chicago Cubs, and that is uh, someone who we are all very familiar with, uh, unfortunately, and that is Daniel Murphy. And I don't think I need to remind everyone here what Daniel did to the Cubs in the 2015 NLCS. But, Brendan, I think that is as close to someone single-handedly winning a pennant as you can get in the game of baseball. Obviously, the Mets pitching was very good in that series. Uh, but when someone hits 520 with four home runs you know, in a four-game series, it's difficult not to just give them all the credit. So... He is a Chicago Cub. He batted leadoff in his first two games. There is a good bit to discuss on the baseball side, and I think that you guys know very well that Brendan and I, uh, you know, try to stick to baseball as best we can and, you know, not bring too much else into this podcast for you guys because it just isn't necessarily the space for it. But I would be remiss, and I think for me personally, a little irresponsible if I did not at least mention the outside circumstances of this. And and part of the reason I want to do that is because he, Daniel Murphy, has been asked about this repeatedly at his press conferences with the beat writers, a bunch of articles written about it, a lot of people talking about this. And I think to not bring it to the table for you guys is irresponsible of us. Uh, we're not journalists, but we're talking about the Cubs here. And this is something that's going on and is not just a small sect of people talking about this. Uh, but a few years ago, I think a lot of people know this, Daniel Murphy uh, expressed his views on homosexuality. And I am not going to delve into minor Brendan's. We're not going to talk about politics, religious beliefs. That is not what this podcast uh, aims to be about. And I think in such a short spurt, it's not really possible to do those conversations justice. But what I will say 
is that we have, you know, heard quotes from Jed Hoyer. We have heard quotes from Daniel himself that he has, you know, worked to evolve as a person in a sense over these few years. He has developed a friendship with Billy Bean at the MLB office who sort of spearheads a project to be more inclusive and all that other stuff. I I don't know, you know, where we are in reality. I I have never talked to Daniel Murphy. I don't know Daniel Murphy. So what I want to say is this, and then I think we will, um, you know, maybe try to table it at that and maybe find a time to revisit it. But all I would ask is that everybody try to respect the fact that whether you agree or disagree with his remarks at the time or are personally offended by them or are looking at people talking about this and thinking this is just his opinion, people need to calm down, wherever you land on this, let's all just try to be respectful of the fact that his comments directly affect and are angled towards human beings. And just like me and Brendan, they have been fans of this team and devoted an awful lot of passion and energy and love to the Chicago Cubs. And this is a difficult spot for them. This is someone who has made these comments public. So there is no choice for everybody but to hear them and deal with them. And it's a tough thing to reconcile when someone says that and it is directed at you as a person and who you are as a human being. And they're on your favorite team now. And, you know, again, wherever you land on this, I I think that that's all I would ask and, and where I would leave the conversation is just to be respectful of those who may have a different experience with these comments than you. Yeah. And... I, I'm going to leave it at that, and I, I, I hope that that's uh, an, an okay way of kind of talking about and explaining this whole situation, because I, I, I really you know, don't want to delve into it too deeply, um, but I, I do think we needed to touch on it. Right. So with that, um, again, wherever you land on all of this, we, we are all talking about a baseball team, and that is you know, ultimately what this all centers around. And Daniel Murphy is a Chicago Cub. He will continue to play for the Chicago Cubs. And if we're going to keep talking about this, we we need to, you know, kind of transition from the topic. And I I hope that Daniel, and by all accounts, he's a good member of the community, um, is not harmful to people, um, does not, you know, have it out for anyone. And I hope that that continues as he's with the Chicago Cubs. But Brendan... From a baseball perspective, uh, the delay in recording this podcast has given us at least a a little bit of a glimpse into what the Cubs are going to do with him, how they deploy him offensively, defensively. We saw him subbed out for defense in Thursday night's game against the Reds. So I'm going to pose it to you two ways, just your general thoughts on this trade, but also where do you think the impetus for this move comes from? Because I I think when this happened, you had a lot of people saying, "Uh uh-oh, you know, should I be worried more about KB than I was previously because they just acquired a hitter? Um, You know, does this mean that that Russell's stuff is worse than it's going to be? Does it mean that maybe the front office was more concerned with the, the offense than we were? 
Um, where do you, you know, kind of see where this move came from? Well, I think it's very, in, in many ways, a parallel to how they got Cole Hamels. It's one, a player like that is available for essentially little in prospect value. So it'd be almost negligent to not at least consider a deal like that, in, which is ultimately what they did. They went out. They gave very little for Daniel Murphy and provides great depth and and flexibility. It doesn't mean, and I I think people may be extrapolating too much on how this this bodes for Chris Bryant and Addison Russell and the injuries on this offense, but I don't think it was made with the assumption that Chris Bryant is for sure not going to be back uh, at, at full health. I don't think that's the case. It's... It's a depth move, and if Chris Bryant does come back healthy, fully healthy, then great. You have another really quality bat that you can bring off the bench or use sparingly against particular matchups. Or if you want, you can play him very consistently if Addison Russell does not turn it around. So I don't think the move was necessarily made out of the thought that Addison Russell and Chris Bryant are not going to be back. I think you have to be aware of the situation that the possibility is, you know, they may not be 100%. And it's hard to rely on these guys getting back into full baseball shape with the playoffs starting five or six weeks from now, if they even make it there, right? So that's where, that's where it comes from, I think, for me. I, I, I still think I would be surprised if Bryant doesn't come back and plays fairly well towards the end of September, but you never know with these injuries. And I think that's kind of the crux of the issue is you just don't know. So that's where I'm at with that. But I do want to mention too with Murphy, his his bat is for real. Like if you were to go to the rest of the season projections for second baseman, he has the best projection for a National League second baseman from an offensive point of view. That's pretty remarkable if you ask me. They go out and you acquire an insurance policy who's projected, Corey, to be the best offensive second baseman in Major League Baseball, more so than Javi Baez's projection. You can get into all the beef about your projections or whatever, but it's kind of it's kind of funny in a way, kind of ironic in a way, actually. But the 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 side piece to this, I think, and we can get into a little bit more too, but I it, it it's it, like how they build this team this year has been a little weird because they're such a strong defensive team, and that, and my one concern is like Murphy can't move. Like he has the lowest sprint speed in, in Major League Baseball, right. and guys, he is like brutal on defense. Like like <laughs> like absolutely brutal. And I'm I'm not saying this as like to spite him or whatever, but like that one play against the Reds on for the first run of the game when Hamels was pitching, like Javi makes that. Like with ease, like I know Murphy had to dive and whatever, but Javi makes that with ease. Even Lestella, to a degree, probably makes that with ease. So I think. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, you'd be surprised, man. I'm telling you, Murphy cannot move out there. But kind of to bring this back full circle, I, I think my ideal vision for Murphy, assuming Chris Bryant comes back healthy and Addison Russell can come back healthy, is to use him in a way that makes sense from a defensive point of view and who's pitching. Like if Kyle Hendricks is pitching that day, I don't know if I want Murphy in the lineup, to be honest. Uh, If someone like Cole Hamels is pitching, and even though you kind of screwed him today, but Cole Hamels is a guy who gets like on average nine strikeouts per game. I may feel more comfortable using Murphy at second base. And I think there's a lot of different iterations they can use in this lineup to get Murphy in there and not to expose them to 
any type of defensive bad value, but that's my that's my vision is to maybe get him in the game against a guy who gets a lot of strikeouts. You get him out fast. You put someone like Russell in for defense or however you want to mix it up. That's where I think and hope the direction will go if KV again, assuming he comes back healthy. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, that was kind of one of my first thoughts when the move was made was to think about okay, like. Obviously, we know what his bat can do, but we are coming. It, it, it's sort of an interesting situation because it's you're you're coming off a weekend where in Pittsburgh you split a series while only scoring a run in each game, and a large part of that is the defense. <laughs> exactly. Obviously, in one of the games, they tie a major league record with seven double plays turned. You'd have to go back and look at the exact plays, but I would guess that they don't turn seven if Daniel Murphy is in there instead of you know the normal guys up the middle of the infield. And Corey so, too. And Joe Madden went on six seventy to score, and he said like, yeah, like Addison Russell's bat is struggling, but the reason he's playing is because his defense is so valuable. Right. And he used those exact examples you just used right now. So that's it's a, it's a weird thing to reconcile for me. Sometimes Joe and I are in sync, uh, not when it comes to, you know, which reliever should be brought in and when, but other times we are right in sync. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that how he's deployed is going to be interesting to follow. And, you know, like I mentioned, he, he was removed for a defensive replacement. Zobris took over at second base. That's also pretty amusing, is it not, Brendan? That- <laughs> Uh, yeah. you're, you're like way more comfortable with Zobrist, and that this isn't a knock on Ben Zobrist, but you know he is 37 years old and not necessarily the most uh, nimble person out there. So it's funny that Ben Zobrist is your defensive replacement up the middle. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the key. I mean, I, I think that, and I didn't necessarily when I asked you, you know, what the the, the motive for the trade may have been. I didn't necessarily have any thought or or concrete answer of my own I I took it more as you know this offense can be inconsistent at times let's go get a guy that you know maybe uh, as a bat is a bit of a safer bet so that we can kind of maybe mitigate some of those things if they do come up and you do get in a stretch like that you can throw another veteran in there to kind of hopefully break up that youth and adjustment and 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 stuff like that yeah and it's it's just one of those things too that it's there like murphy is there to be had for nothing like at the end of the day why not do it well and i mean yeah i mean you can also look at it from the perspective of he will not be on the cardinals or uh the dodgers or the diamondbacks or somebody like that that you may run into in the playoffs and like i said i mean i don't really think i need to keep reminding people what daniel murphy is capable of in the playoffs um but yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's interesting. It's 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 been an interesting couple of days with him atop the lineup, and you know, I, I think he was talking to Len Casper prior to Wednesday's game, mm-hmm. and just talking about how he looked forward to being able to play at Wrigley Field a lot because he feels it's a really good ballpark for his batted ball profile. And what he specifically pointed to was he he thinks he tends to have a lot of success at Wrigley because he's at least he views himself as a gap to gap alley hitter and with you know the wind and obviously the the baskets and and the the way Wrigley Field is shaped he can turn some of those doubles maybe in other parks into home runs at Wrigley Field so it's kind of interesting to hear him talk about that and just you know now kind of 
instead of coming in as an opponent, you know, this is his home now, and he can kind of look at it as, okay, what what can I take advantage of on a more regular basis here mm-hmm. as it relates to my game? So it'll be interesting to see how that goes going forward. Um, you know, I think since we're already on the, the, the middle infield topic, just might as well clean this up here that Addison Russell does hit the 10-day disabled list um, with officially the middle finger injury that he suffered, I believe, on June 3rd or July 3rd. I I, I think July 3rd. Um, but yeah. he's dealing with a lot of stuff. He's, he's had some shoulder issues, um, and but the official reason that he went down uh, was for this finger injury. And, you know, when you look at his numbers, Brendan, we've talked about this a lot, but his numbers since the the date the injury occurred to now are terrible. And over the last 30 days, they're even worse. So this is obviously something that was bothering him, affecting his power, affecting his swing. We talked about how ugly some of his swings looked at some at, at times. And Jed Hoyer on 670 The Score today saying he probably should not have been playing through this. I have a problem with that, Corey. I don't, uh, so I, do I. I was going to say. Can we when, talk about that for a second? Yeah, when the general manager says that, my first instinct is, well, aren't you the general manager, Jed? Then why right. was he playing? Right. And it's – here's the thing. And we actually – you and I talked about this. But, the like, we know this front office is brilliant, right? Like, you – like, their head of basically analytics has a PhD in neuroscience, like – He's a pretty smart dude. They have a really, really smart group of people working for them. To miss stuff like this does not make sense to me. And well, and this is interesting because, like, when you think back to the Zobris thing, we knew that he had, you know, maybe experienced something on that swing against the Dodgers. But I, I don't think we knew necessarily that, yes, there is something wrong with his wrist until he said that. And then he still kept playing for like a month. But this with Russell, we've been – he missed the next three games after this injury happened. So it was like we knew that this was a thing. And maybe I'm misremembering the Zobra situation, but I, I this is just a weird one because it's like we've known something was hurt and then his play kind of took a nosedive. So it's just, it's it, it, it is Brian weird that too. this happens. Like even Brian – this is this is another point I was talking about with you guys too. Like, we knew Bryant just did not look right for the better portion of three or four weeks, and the moment we find out, oh, he he re-injured his shoulder, it's like, oh well, no, duh, right? Like we obviously all saw that. So I don't I don't I don't understand it, and I'm not going to go on a, a huge tangent here, but even how the U Darvish situation was handled, and you, by the way, not you, Corey, but you Darvish, by the way had a, I think, a great blog post. He has his own blog, and he writes every now and then, but he kind of went into great detail about his disappointment and his frustration with the whole injury process and how he couldn't contribute for his team this year. And he expressed his disappointment. But one point stuck out, and sorry to transition away from this. We'll we'll bring it back. But uh, one point stuck out is after he left his minor league rehab start the first time, and this is after he had his MRI and he rehabbed for a few weeks before he even got to the point to do that first rehab start. Came out of the game and he said, you know, I wish I would have done the MRI with contrast. I'm not, look, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not going to go into the, the details of that. But 
this uh, particular MRI, if you do this contrast mechanism, it makes you not able to throw for an extended period of time for a few weeks, I believe. But he said, you know, I wish I did that because if they did do that, Corey, in the middle of June, and if it's a six-week recovery, then by now, maybe you Darvish is more healthy. Maybe his rehab program can be more tailored. Maybe he can actually get his strength back. Maybe things can rest up. I don't I don't know. I'm maybe I'm being unreasonable here, but I'm a little frustrated to be honest. Like if you have a pitcher like you Darvish with his injury concerns and his Tommy John history and nothing clear came up on the first MRI and you just go through the same rehab process again, right? Like you just do the same exact thing the second time and of course the same outcome happens. Like that just doesn't seem like it was handled appropriately and I think it's a good learning experience for all the medical guys in the Cubs and you, Darvish, as well. But I'm frustrated, Corey. I'm frustrated with how some of the medical things have been handled this year, even dating back to last year with Russell's shoulder and Zobris's wrist and KB's shoulder this year. It's just, I don't know. I'm frustrated. I, I, I'm not saying I'm justified, per se, and I'm not calling right. out these guys. But like, I, it just seems almost too weird to have things like this happen when a front office is so proactive in avoiding things like this, I don't understand it. Well, it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is one of those things where we're not in there. I mean, I would be, I, I think only the people on the medical staff and in the, the front office are going to know, you know, really every detail to all this stuff uh, because they just don't have any reason to divulge all of it. But it does stand out that you have a, a pretty healthy group of people. And I, I guess that's an odd time to use the word healthy, but <laughs> who, you know, seemingly visibly had something wrong with them or explicitly had something wrong with them. In some of these cases, we were all aware of it. And yet they played through it and it did not go very well. And, I, you know, I, that's not to say, you know, sometimes rest doesn't necessarily help things. You know, sometimes injuries are just the way they are, and if you want to deal with them, it's a, it's it's more of a long term process. But this team has extraordinary depth, and even as we're talking about all these guys that are hurt, they still have extraordinary depth. And it just is odd that some of these guys are being pushed to terrible results. I mean, this is the the second time in a row, Brendan, that we've seen someone on this team definitely have an injury that we're all pretty acutely aware of and perform horribly while trying to play through it. And, you know, I, I, I do see where you're coming from here. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is justified or not, but you're looking around going, why is this guy playing through this? Like, I, I don't know if it would even help to, to to have the extra rest, but he's really obviously hurting the team. I mean, and you're looking at Zobris last year who was putting up the worst number of his, of his career during that stretch. Russell, who over the last 30 games and 101 at-bats, has a two thirty eight slugging percentage, Ugh. Brendan. I mean, that is awful. What is this guy doing on the field? Yeah. I, I, so I, I agree with you. Like, I, it, it just is very strange. And I, and I guess I wonder, like, were they hoping that they would play through it and you'd, you'd kind of, like, come on the other side and now Russell's hitting normally again? Like, because what we were looking at, I I don't know what would have given you the confidence to think that. So, yeah, I mean, look, again, the clarifier that neither of us are doctors and we certainly do not have all the information on this, but just from an outside perspective, it just looks weird. And, and you know, going back to the comments from Hoyer, 
it's just a weird thing to say. I, I don't I don't know that we're necessarily wrong to like kind of raise our eyebrows at, at him saying, yeah, Addison probably shouldn't have been playing through that. It's like, all right, well, well then <laughs> who should I ask as to why he was? Because like, don't you guys make these decisions and stuff? So it was funny too because it was I believe what was it two days ago when <laughs> six seventy the score is a lot of interviews here, guys. But again, Madden was on the score and. He was talking about Addy, too, and we, I just mentioned this, but they asked uh, Madden about Addy's health, and Madden said, well, you know, I talked to him, and he says he's fine, but sometimes he doesn't, you know, really reveal everything, so I put him out there. That's what Joe Madden said. Like, <laughs> I, have a pro- I, have a pr- I have a problem with that. Like, to, it's not, to a degree, it's not like the player's call to determine whether or not the player should be playing injured or it's not up to Joe Madden to figure out if this player is injured like that's a very old school approach and I am not in a dugout I've never worked for a professional baseball team I am not and a I medical doctor hope you never are thank you I appreciate dugout. that uh but I don't know the the whole dynamics of that but it just seems weird to me that there's so much emphasis on preventing issues like this that getting to a point where a major league baseball manager has to ask a player if he's okay seems weird to me if that's kind of like the 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 end call of having a player play i don't I, i i do take uh great issue with stuff like that so i i i don't know i i think I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, like how everything's kind of turned out. But I just that that can't happen. That's and it was it was funny too because we've seen Addy look so much better, so much better earlier in the year and last year, and it was a noticeable difference. You and I were right. always I mean, he, talking. He wasn't about necessarily that. lighting the world on fire, but prior to the injury, he had a 96 WRC plus, which is close to being league average. And if you, when you combine his defense is a very valuable player. And, he, and yeah. like I said, you know, last 30 games, I mean, he's got a, what What would this be? Uh, my quick math here, like a 5-10 slugging or Not OPS. Good. I mean, that's terrible. Right. And if you were to go back even further, there were there was a point where his offense was even better than that 96. It was like 1-0-something, whatever it was. But point being, like, I think it was maybe more noticeable when you were at the games, just how weird his swing looked compared to previous years. I was in San Diego when I was watching Addy, and, and even you know my dad, who doesn't necessarily watch every game that we do, we watch every game for the most part. And he even mentioned that you know he looks weird, like he doesn't look, look like the same guy. Right. And so, <laughs> when you have someone who's not necessarily watching him on a day in day out basis make that observation, it stands out to me. And I got those tickets actually through SeatGeek, Corey. Uh, football is back. I don't know if you knew that. Football is back. This is not a football podcast, but it's back. And SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game, including these new, uh, this, this fresh season of football. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, even Soldier Field. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. 
I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've ever found to shop for tickets. I use it consistently. I use it here in the West Coast whenever I want to go to a game last second. I've used it for basketball games, last-minute trips to Chicago. I'll use it for Wrigley. It's, it's honestly the best. Best of all, our listeners, you guys, get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CUBSRELATED today. That's promo code Cubs related for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. So, Core, I think that's kind of like where I'm at with the whole injury issue. I think ultimately, and I kept saying this, but I, I really think we can survive these injuries. The depth is just incredible. And I'm always reminded, even when I look at this offense, I go down the charts, I see so many quality seasons from a lot of these guys and even from the pitching point of view in the bullpen you have steve Cjack and carl edwards jr and sometimes i even forget myself like i did this to you before we when we were preparing for the show like wow like steve Cjack is having a hell of a year and wow cj edwards is having an incredible year with his walk rate it's like night and day from last year so i think with all these injuries in mind i i, I sometimes am guilty of myself being overwhelmed by those injuries and kind of forgetting that, you know, maybe like this bullpen, even without Morrow, might survive. I didn't say that the past few episodes, but maybe I'm kind of just growing to the thought that we may not get Morrow back. So naturally, I'm trying to make myself feel better here. But I, I think maybe that this depth actually will be okay if Morrow does not come back. Right. So just to wrap all of this up, the, the the conversations kind of necessitate that we end up talking about some things that we didn't necessarily clarify yet, because uh, they're all kind of related, obviously. <laughs> um, but since we last spoke to you, the official word on you, Darvish, is he is done for the season. Right. That was basically what we prepared for the last time we spoke, um, and that confirmed this week he has I, I believe the the official reason for this is a stress reaction a bone bruise in his right elbow so he went back you know and obviously got more tests and got looked at again and they did find something I believe you know the the recovery time on this in particular is about six weeks and that will uh, leave him out so he is looking forward to 2019 already, and, and like Brendan mentioned, it, it was a blog post, obviously, that he writes in Japanese, uh, but is translated, and, you know, we do look to kind of make sure that there are people who speak Japanese that are corroborating these words and, uh, you know, checking that the translation is fairly close. And, yeah, like Brendan mentioned, you know, he, he wished that he had pushed for further checking because basically what he was saying is he knew something was wrong, uh, but they couldn't necessarily figure out what it was, which explains now explains why a lot of people were like, what's going on? You know, what's his deal, yeah. et cetera. Uh, so that does that does kind of explain that. And, and he did point out, too, that at a, at a point during this whole process, even he was wondering if it was just something that was in his head because they they didn't know. And, and you know, he knew deep down that, that something was wrong and it just wasn't right in his arm. And he didn't know. He didn't know how to handle it. And at a, at a point began to believe that perhaps people were right, that, you know, he was just a head case or something like that. So he said he was very relieved 
you know, as much as you can be to find out that there's something wrong with you, uh, that there was something wrong with him. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately that is the case on you. I, you know, I don't really necessarily think we need to do much of a post-mortem here, Brendan. Um, he was one in three with a four, nine, five ERA, not really much of a factor on this season. So, uh, you know, like I said, kind of when we were anticipating this news, this team has moved on basically without him, and I hope that he's healthy come next year. It's it's obviously an unfortunate way for this whole situation to to pan out, and obviously, you know, when you think back to the rotation coming into the year and all the off season podcasts that we did and conversations that we had, um, yeah, you Darvish and Tyler Chatwood didn't work. Talk about, um, you know, a couple of strikeouts there to use a, a really, a bad one really yeah. easy and fitting pun, <laughs> Brendan. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's, that's really just what it is. I mean, they are at this point, Darvish is out for the year. Tyler Chatwood, another bullet I have yet to cover, uh, placed on the 10 day DL, I believe retroactive to his last start, um, with hip inflammation. I don't know. Maybe that's a real thing. I doubt it. You know, color me skeptical uh, that perhaps the Cubs just needed a reason to have him excuse himself for a little bit. But they are non-factors on this team. I, uh, unless something crazy happens with Tyler Chatwood, I don't envision him being a factor at all for the rest of the year. So all of that talk, all of the hand-wringing over the contracts and projections and what we think this rotation is capable of, Totally moot at this point, but uh, I guess that is why we point toward the heavens and thank <laughs> someone, probably Theo, I guess, uh, for bringing us Cole Hamels because Cole Hamels is performing like not even really a he's free agent you would hope to sign. Yeah, I mean, he's he's performing like someone who, if he was pitching like this for a full season, would be in consideration for a Cy Young. So... Cole, can we um, can, can we can we pause there too with with the Cole Hamels thing like that? Let me let me just finish these ahead. last two go injuries ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. because I think we kind of already touched on them. I just want to make sure for you know um, housekeeping. Chris Bryant taking BP. Uh, they have said that he is close to getting out on a rehab start. Basically, the same deal we've heard the whole time with Chris Bryant. It's progressing. He may not end up being 100% as far as his strength is concerned, but there's not, you know, necessarily a serious injury in there. He's working towards getting back, and they will hopefully unleash him when they are comfortable doing so, but we still do not have an exact timeline on that. The Brandon Morrow situation, a little more complicated. Obviously, he was scheduled to come off the DEL some time ago. Uh, That has not happened. He's continued with the extended rehab, and we got word over the last couple days, that he was going to be getting more tests. There wasn't necessarily a setback, uh, but they were going to relook at things, which almost any way you want to spin it, Brendan, is not a good thing. Um, No setback is good, but them being unsure or wanting to take another look at things is not necessarily great. So like you already mentioned, and we have talked about already it's very possible that he does not come back similar to kb we we have no clue where he's at necessarily with his exact timetable and when he would be ready and how ready he may be um but a relief pitcher a guy with an injury history who had a very heavy workload coming into the year 
not great uh, to be reading that, you know, they want to get in there and look at some stuff again. Um, so, yeah, I think you do, at the very least, uh, need to prepare yourself for him not being there. And we've talked about this. You know, you just mentioned some of those guys. Um, Pedro Strope has done a phenomenal job in the closer spot. He has looked uh, very much up to the challenge. Um, the moment, not too big for him, obviously. And I feel comfortable with this bullpen, uh, even without Moro. It's, it's not a situation you want to be in. But I think that with all the trades the Cubs made, and, you know, even though, you know, Brandon Kinsler has been okay in a Cubs uniform, um, I think they have the depth. I think they have the pieces. You know, Dylan Maples coming up uh, to take Chatwood's place. You know, maybe he can find the strike zone and he can be a weapon for you here down the stretch. <laughs> um, but I believe, Brendan, that that is all the injury news. It's a lot, but I'm pretty sure that's it. So some of it is okay news. Some of it is bad news. Really just depends where you fall on the spectrum with some of these players. But by the way, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Alec Mills was called off, so yes. he'll be starting. Just uh, one other housekeeping note, I guess. Right, as Mike Montgomery is also injured. He's right, right. So, and yeah. uh, but Joe Madden did say he's more confident in Montgomery coming back soon. Well, yeah. I don't know what he was comparing more confident to, but he said, um, "That's what he said." <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm more confident in Montgomery just, coming back. He's just gesturing at all of this. Yeah. You know, this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but. Kind of back to my my original point with Hamels, when he was acquired, he had bad numbers, right? Like he had a FIP above five, he had an ERA near five, and nothing looked good. And the, like his age was a significant issue for some people, and the numbers didn't match. So people were assuming, oh, he's on the decline. But when I say like when you look at talent alone and you try to put context into these numbers then you can kind of figure out what may or may not happen, right? Like Cole Hamill is going with a zero or whatever his ERA is. It's gone down a point, like I said. This is not a surprise to me. And I'm not trying to like, you know, say, oh, I'm so right or whatever. But I think this is a good point of what we're trying to illustrate, even with this offense. Cole Hamels was throwing 95-96 with three secondary pitches that were among the best in Major League Baseball this year. That never went away. For him to come to the National League and perform this well is no surprise because his stuff has never changed. I think for this offense, it's almost the same way to a degree. Like, Schwarber can still hit homers. Javi is still doing his thing. Rizzo is hitting lasers, Corey. That first homer yet today was an absolute laser. Now you have Daniel Murphy, and you have guys like Ian Happ, who's still working the strike zone, and Wilson Contreras, who might be a different topic, to be honest with you, but overall, this entire depth of this offense, they have such a high ceiling that while they look bad in the moment, I think it's that's kind of a, a disservice to say, oh, this is going to continue going forward. I know the numbers are bad. I know they stabilize. Some of them have actually stabilized, but I would be shocked if this continues. I just really would. So that's the point with the whole Hamels situation is to compare. Hamels had the talent. This offense has talent. And you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. And to have this potential can ride them through the playoffs. That's the point I'm making. Right. So I, I do want to read two stats kind of to that end uh, from Christopher Kamka, who works for NBC Sports Chicago. Very good uh, stats follow on Twitter. And the first one is about the pitching. The second one is about Anthony Rizzo. So uh, over the last seven games, the Cubs pitching with a 1.29 ERA in 62 and two-thirds innings pitched. They've allowed 56 hits, 
44 Ks, 18 walks, and just one home run with a 1.18 whip. So those numbers are very good. Anthony Rizzo, uh, prior to May 1st, so the first 18 games of his season, a 149 batting average, a 259 on base percentage, 189 slugging percentage with one home run and nine RBIs. Yuck. Since then, so since May 1st, in the uh, following 98 games, a 295 batting average, a 388 on base percentage, a 518 slugging percentage with 20 home runs and 74 RBIs. So there is a reason, Brendan, that we kept saying, as long as he's healthy, don't worry about Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. Why? Very simply, he's Anthony Rizzo. Right. Uh, so... I just, you know, I think those are uh, interesting stats. And, you know, I know that it's been an interesting year. We kind of ebb and flow. Are we worried about the offense? Are we worried about the pitching? Are we worried about the offense? Are we worried about the pitching? And by pitching, I mean starting pitching. The bullpen has been basically lights out for the entire season. So uh, kudos to them for that. But this last stretch has been even more interesting because, as we've seen, you know, the pitching allowed them to win a couple games in Pittsburgh that they really had no business winning otherwise, you know, and now the offense has stepped it up these last two games to go along with the pitching, and, you know, things now you're thinking, okay, let's keep doing this because this combination of all of it is uh, a little more successful, Brendan. Yeah, that's 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 the encouraging The most encouraging thing of this is just Rizzo coming back to form. Uh, it, it gives, I think, this the entire lineup a complete facelift because now you can put that power hitter in the middle of the order. You yeah. get Murphy. Now now you have a true leadoff guy. Of course, Rizzo's the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, right? But it does change the makeup of the lineup. And I, I think overall what we're going to see going forward is not going to be this type of static zero-power type offense. Now, I will say, I'm not going to go on here and be like oh everything's fine and and cherry whatever like the one player whom i'm concerned about is probably wilson Contreras. i think many of you guys share the same concerns and we're getting late in this podcast so i'm not going to spend you know 20 30 minutes doing this but i think the general concern with wilson one is the absence of power so for him to only have nine homers this year Whereas last year, around the same plate appearance total had 21 homers is very surprising. And going into the year, I did, you did, we had uh, Michael Cerami from Bleacher Nation on almost say the same thing. Like we, we thought Wilson could be an MVP candidate because of his offensive potential as a catcher and his throwing arm and everything. But I don't think anyone saw this power absence happen. This is weird to me. And his contact rate is up across the board like crazy, and he's swinging at more pitches outside the strike zone by about 3%. And it just seems like this is not the same batter that we saw last year. And I don't know if this is him having to adapt to pitchers or if this is a conscious approach change kind of led by Chili Davis's instruction. Whatever it is, it's weird to me how he cannot hit the ball with power anymore and at the same time he's making significantly more contact to the degree where he's almost a league average contact hitter it's almost like this is the Wilson Contreras from his double a days who didn't really have that much power it's weird so I just want to make things a little bit more clear I'm not saying everyone's fine and I do think there are some reasons to be kind of like huh what's going on with Wilson Contreras here 
Right. I don't know. Um, I think we talked about some things, you know, that may be going on in the past, you know, and just obviously handling his work at the plate and making adjustments to be a better player, as well as handling the pitching staff, you know, in uh, sort of the the full-time capacity, which obviously he doesn't necessarily have that much experience at. Um, But he, you know, he's one too. It's different than Russell, obviously, but he just looks off. I, I mean, he's swinging through pitches I mentioned to you I think it was in that game on uh Wednesday against uh the Tigers where you know just pitches right down the middle right down Broadway that I mean you salivate for that he is not only swinging through but clearly not on the right pitch you know either swinging early thinking it's a fastball or swinging late thinking it's a breaking ball and just being dead wrong and just off. And it, it just, when he was super hot last year and, and during the stretches that we've seen him be super hot, he mashes those pitches. He eats those mistakes alive and deposits them in the stands or rips them for doubles. And it, it, it just doesn't look right. And, you know, you look at MLB.com does these 30-game samples in case anybody's wondering why I'm so obsessed with 30-game samples. It's just how they sort it. Uh, 30, 15, and 7. So that's what we have to choose from. Uh, but 100 at-bats, it's a nice clean number in the last 30 games for Wilson. A 220 batting average and a 622 OPS. And then when you look at 15 games... And seven games, his slugging percentages, respectively, 160 in the last 50, 15 games, 174 in the last seven games. Ugh. This is, it, it's just off. And, you know, so I don't know if it's the workload. I don't know if this is just, you know, sort of an adjustment period for him. As with most of these things, like, we've obviously seen the talent. We've seen what he's capable of. So I have no doubt that he can rectify this. But it's been a... It's been a particularly rough stretch for him, and, you know, it it does sort of, like you were mentioning, you know, when you go back to the beginning of the year and you're kind of anticipating someone, you know, maybe being an an MVP candidate, you know, and, you know, right now, like, I don't—it must be difficult for Joe. This is a guy that you probably were thinking about penciling in the cleanup spot or at the very least, like, the five-hole for a good portion of this season, and I think if you're Joe writing out these lineups right now today— you're a little uncomfortable hitting him any higher than I think like sixth, right? Which is and, crazy. And, you know, so that we just all, is, we all, we, yeah, we all, sorry, yeah, right it, there. It's we all a drastic change from, yeah. yeah, I think from where you were really anticipating him to be. Now, right. I do want to point out, I think it's worth pointing out that on the whole, his year still looks pretty good and right. not what we would have expected or hoped for, certainly in the Homer and RBI categories, but. A 267 batting average, 359 on base percentage, 778 OPS from, you know, a, a catcher with a cannon for an arm who's young. Those are pretty good numbers, but I just think, you know, nine homers and 42 RBIs with those numbers, just not really what anybody was expecting uh, from Wilson. I think that a lot of people had much, much higher expectations uh, for Wilson. So, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not really sure. I'm not. I'm not sure if he's, you know, just sort of a victim of of the style that Chile is preaching, or if this is just, you know, a, a young guy that needs to adjust and and figure some things out right now. But it has definitely been 
a rough stretch. And, and like we talked about, I think on one of the more recent episodes, you know, this is where you, you do wish that you had somebody better than Victor Caratini to throw in there on the days where you need to give Contreras a rest. You know, because, I'm surprised they haven't gone out and got someone yeah. yet. It, we're getting a little Certainly. bit late here. Um, yeah, and here. and you know it it just hurts, and and also you know that's something to look at from Wilson as well. You know, does it affect his overall play that his replacement is not you know super adequate? Uh, you know, putting it one way, right? <laughs> like where when you look at last year, you know he could be subbed out if you wanted a better pitch framer for a moment by Rene Rivera. You wanted a guy to give you a good at bat from the left side. You can bring in Alex Avila and you just don't have that luxury. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that that's translated to him having a higher workload. I'd have to, you know, really dig into that. I don't necessarily think it has, but there's definitely probably situations where Wilson is being called upon to do just a little bit more than he otherwise would if, you know, every backup catcher you've tried this year um, isn't good defensively and is really not good at the plate. So I think that's something at least worth pointing yeah. out is, you know, part of this discussion with Wilson. But it's just yeah. something we're going to have to monitor. I, I would not be surprised if he turned it on very quickly, um, you know, and, and started spraying the ball all over the field and, and putting up better numbers. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, certainly there's there's no doubt that it's, it's something worth eyeing. Just those numbers over this last particular stretch are uh, not good. eye-poppingly bad. Yeah. Corey, here's where we are with the state of the Cubs and the rest of the Central. So by winning tonight, the Cubs are three games up and three and a half games up of the Brewers and Cardinals in the division. And the Cubs are in the midst of a 23-game straight stretch. They play the first three of those 23. So they have uh, 20 more to go. And... They won the first game of this Reds series. On Friday, there will be a day game. Alec Mills will make his uh, Wrigley Field debut this year. He was up earlier in the year, but he'll be uh, taking the mound and starting. He'll be facing Matt Harvey, who uh, is 6-7 with a 4.91 ERA. This may be Matt Harvey's last start in a Reds uniform, depending on what happens with the waiver wire. I believe I thought he. They said he was claimed by a mystery team because I think I read maybe Patrick Mooney from the Athletic clarifying like for those of you that are thinking about it, it was not the Cubs. Yeah, and so how that I think he has. They have ten days to make a trade. Uh, the Reds do have ten days to make a trade. I believe is how it works. Anyway, so after that Friday game, uh, the Cubs play again another day game on Saturday. They have Jose Quintana taking the mound. Q has been better recently, I think encouraging. He's 10-9 with a 4.36 ERA on the year. He'll face Luis Castillo for the Reds, one of their top pitching prospects, but has been, he's been very disappointing this year with a 7-10 record and a 4.86 ERA. And then to finish off this four-game set, Kyle Hendricks takes the mound for the Cubs with a 9-10 record, a 4.04 ERA. He'll face... Homer Bailey, and I'm laughing because his record, Corey, is 1-11 with a 6.21 ERA. That may be the worst record I have ever seen reading um, in my recent memory. And that game starts at 1.20 p.m. All these games are 1.20 p.m. Uh, Chicago time. And the Cubs right now stand at 73 and 53. The Reds at 56 and 72. Definitely going backwards, and that's that's where we are here. So we're entering really the dog days of this stretch and um, having, again, 
someone like Daniel Murphy being acquired gives him more depth and with Addy going on the DL, this is a tough time. And just to kind of paint the picture here before I turn it back to you, after this Red Series, they will uh, face the Mets. So they, they should take advantage of some of these games here. And uh, after that, they have a tough stretch. They have a tough stretch because they play the Braves, then the Phillies, and then the Brewers, three teams who are right in the hunt of the playoff race. So winning these games against the Reds and the Mets are, in my mind, like almost imperative because you never know what's going to happen when you face quality teams in the next week. Yeah, I, we, we've, we've said it before, uh, and there have been stretches like this that the Cubs did not capitalize on. And, you know, the Brewers and Cardinals are still, they're within reach, but still just a bit far enough where you still feel kind of comfortable. You're, you're a series worth of games ahead of each of them. Uh, you do have a four-game lead in the loss column over the Cardinals, a five-game lead in the loss column over the Brewers. And, you know, really at this time of the year, the, the, the reason that, you know, I think that's so important, just in case you're not sure of why, the Cubs control their destiny here. So at some point, the Cubs have to lose those four games for the Cardinals to catch them, uh, whether they're three games back in the, in the games back column or not. So if you're the Cubs, just don't lose those four games, uh, and then simple. they can't catch you. It's 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 pretty simple Quality in a not there. simple sense. But yeah, you know. So uh, when you're playing the Tigers, which obviously that series is already over, and the Reds and the Mets, you're you're dead on, Brendan. You need to put yourself in a position where when you head into these other teams, and you know, you talk about the Braves and the Phillies, like that division is not settled. Uh, obviously, the Brewers' situation is not settled. The wild card is not settled. So these are going to be very hotly contested games with those teams. You need to take advantage of these bad teams, and I mean bad teams. Obviously, the Reds can give everybody fits, and I think they're better than, you know, maybe their overall record would show. But the Mets are atrocious. And I think, as luck would have it, I if I remember correctly, they, they might end up having to face DeGrom and Syndergaard in that series. Oh, but we'll deal with that when it's time to deal with that. But y- you have to take advantage of playing teams that are not in the race, that are not in contention, and are just not good. And otherwise, you put an awful lot of pressure on yourself to beat very good teams who need to win the games just as much as you do. Right. So just, yeah, that that is what my focus is this weekend. You know, we, we've seen bad series with the Reds this year and, uh, you know, obviously basically our entire lives, Brendan. But <laughs> you got a three-game lead on the Cardinals who I, I think even when they were however many games back, we kept saying we're never going to count them out because the devil magic shows up at some point. Here it is, folks. They traded their entire outfield and they're – you know, they Makes just throw no some other guys in there, and it's fine. I was reading some stat the other day of the guys that are in their rotation, like Gomber and Ponce de Leon, and I'm like, these are not real people. So I, I don't know how this is happening, but it is. And you just you gotta you gotta rack up these wins and, and give yourself uh, a little bit of room. But I, I've been you know very encouraged, obviously, with the way the Cubs have played on Wednesday and Thursday night. One of them against the Tigers, one of them against the Reds keep things rolling and you know try to try to build up 
that division lead here as much as you possibly can before you get into this stretch. And, uh, you know, obviously before you have to play these teams themselves in the Brewers and the Cardinals. And just for the record, the Brewers will host the Pittsburgh Pirates this weekend and the Cardinals head to Colorado. So, uh, you know, Colorado is still in the thick of things. So hopefully they can help us out a little bit here. Um, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Brendan, but we are headed into Players Weekend here we in are. the MLB. Yes. And if you're not familiar, I believe last year was the first time they did it. But the Cubs wear these, what I think are really ugly uniforms. Um, I hate that light blue, Brendan. But I know. People love them, though. I, I like the fun of it. I, I just don't like the color scheme, but that's neither here nor there. But basically, all the players get to put whatever they want on the back of their jersey, uh, sort of XFL style. They get to design special cleats. So I believe that Ben Zobrist is allowed to wear his PF Flyer cleats because, you know, obviously it makes total sense that it's an affront to the game every other day but this weekend, but totally fine this weekend, right? Totally makes sense from the MLB's perspective. Definitely don't want these guys having fun and showing their personality for any more than three days. It's way too much uh, personality for the game of baseball. Uh, But also I saw a picture of Wilson Contreras' bats, and they change color as they go along to reflect the Venezuelan flag, which, again, in a similar fashion, he was told not to wear his arm sleeve uh, that has the Venezuelan flag hold on, on hold it. On. They, Naturally, they, so though, again... Bat, he swings the bat... He swings the bat and it changes colors? No, the bat... No, it just, like, it starts red and then it's yellow in the middle. Uh, I don't know the exact color order, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, like, yeah. the hue changes. Okay. It bleeds one color into the other. Okay. I thought it was one of those bats that, like, changes color is based on, like, the no, light diffraction. No, that would be pretty sick, though. Yeah, that, that's actually a great idea now that I think about it. Hmm. You should invent that. The MLB won't let their players use it, but you could invent it. Um, And, you know, worth pointing out, obviously, again, it makes total sense, just like Ben Zobris not being able to wear those cleats, that Marcelo Zuna has been able to wear his highlighter yellow arm sleeve the entire year. Uh, But when it's a Venezuelan flag, you know, supporting your country, right, and where your family is from, no, don't do that. This is, guys, this is Major League Baseball, okay? Have some sense. Yeah. Hopefully the uh, rampant sarcasm here comes through, but in case it doesn't, which sometimes it doesn't, um, I don't believe those things. I think the MLB is very stupid. And other than these (laughs) ugly jerseys, I wish they did a lot of this stuff all the time. I saw, you know, Red Bull helped Chris Bryant with his cleats, and they were done by artists in Chicago, and they're, you know, very fancy and detailed and all this stuff going on. And it's just cool to see these guys be able to show a little personality and and, uh, be encouraged to do so. So uh, you can look for that this weekend. The the nicknames, I think, this year were, um, a lot of them were very similar. Some of them, you know, obviously uh, still very good. Honestly, Brendan, though, I'm a sucker for Rizzo's just saying Tony on the back. I think you and everyone know I've always been a big fan of calling him Tony. Um, and so I, he just I looks just, like a I just Tony. think that's He's a sick, Tony. I just think that's a sick Jersey, just a Cubs Jersey, 44 Tony. I, I, I love it. So, um, I, I do also wish, I, I believe John Lester, I think last year he just went with Lester, <laughs> if I remember correctly, <laughs> which is, which is um, kind of perfect to a degree. 
it's absolutely perfect. I think this year he's going with left-hander, which is fine. I, I, I like that, actually. That's, that's a good In an one. ideal world, for me, he would just literally write John Lester. Yes, yes. I think that would be the his, his full name. I think that's there's something just quite amusing. He's very Rod uh, Swanson-like, you know? Right, about that. But, yeah, so I, I just wanted to at least mention that just in case people are looking at these uniforms going, what on earth is going on here um, and why... You know, why does Javi's jersey say El Mago on the back? Um, I didn't know that was allowed. So for this weekend, it's allowed. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on, on this series. you, you got to beat these teams. You're playing the Reds and the Mets with a three-game lead in the division. I think it's pretty simple. You need, you need to win games. Yep, simple as that. And one last note here. I, I do this basically every other podcast, but with Q, uh, I think one <laughs> – you laugh, I know – but this is actually useful here. I think one trend to look for is his changeup usage. The changeup usage was his highest of the season last start, and it just so happened to coincide with one of his most encouraging starts, I think, in a while. So I'll be looking for that this weekend, and I think if, it's, if there's one thing to monitor on, a, on that type of level, it is his changeup, Corey. Well, next you're going to tell me, Brendan, that a pitcher being able to command three pitches instead of two is somehow better for him. Well, I'm right? going to save that for the next podcast. I got I got to save yeah. all the goodies here, <laughs> right? Uh, but I think that'll do it for us. Again, we we want to thank you guys for bearing with us on on the uh, delayed coverage. It here. was all my fault, by the way. So if you want to direct your anger, you can direct it towards me. Corey was was there. It was my fault. That is uh, the truth, so I have no snarky comment to that. But uh, we, we do appreciate it, and you know, hopefully uh, at least everyone can recognize that we, we do try to stick to our word as best we can, even when uh, extenuating circumstances arise in getting you to a week, uh, even if we kind of, like we did here, have to kind of recap two series at once or, you know, one series and a game from another, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen for you guys, and we'll make sure that uh, there is two bits of Cubs-related audio for you each week. Um, With that, uh, you can find us, as always, on iTunes, the Apple Podcasts app, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Again, like I said in the beginning, uh, Blog Talk Radio has converted their system or their feed or something to a new service called Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, and that is where you can find us. The Blog Talk Radio feed does not update anymore. So if you've been looking for that, thinking this podcast is gone, I guess you wouldn't be hearing this, but it's not gone. Uh, and again, regardless, we do two episodes a week normally before and after every series. And you can take that to the bank. And if you are listening to us on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app or have access to it, and would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review and why you enjoy the podcast, uh, any feedback of any kind. We always appreciate it. And I mentioned this before, but we we, we do see upticks in those uh, numbers of reviews that we're getting. And we do appreciate that, that you guys take the time to not only listen to us and download the podcast, but also uh, go in there and do that for us. It helps us. We're not exactly positive why, but we know it helps us. So we do thank you for that. Otherwise, I think that will do it for us. Uh, Hopefully on Sunday, Brendan, we have a little less of a bullet by bullet, you know, we need to give you an update on who's hurt or who's not uh, type of podcast. I think those are generally more fun 
for us, for the listener, and in general for Cubs baseball, because that usually means that uh, less guys are on the DL and we have less stuff to report rather than talk about. But either way, we will come to you on Sunday after the Cubs uh, hopefully finish up a successful series here with the Cincinnati Reds. Other than that, this has been the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. We thank you guys, as always, for joining us, and go Cubs. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.